difficulty in trying to determine what that greatest misunderstanding might be. Because I think there are numerous misunderstandings that we hold about him. But the one thing is certain. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him well. He wants us to understand him so that we can more clearly and fully follow him in our lives. The better we know him, the more we're going to want to draw close to him, follow him in his likeness. So I'm going to share with you actually today three things that many people misunderstand about the Lord and understand that I'm putting these in a, a capsule and somewhat minimizing them so that I can cover all of them with you. The greatest misunderstanding that we have about God. First, there are many people who misunderstand his love. Some people misunderstand it based on they can't actually believe that God loves them because of the life that they've lived or the things in which they've been involved and the degradation that has been a part of their lives or for many reasons, just because of their own inferiority in their feelings and their misjudgment of themselves, they can't believe that God would love them. Then there are others who believe and misunderstand the love of God because they think that God loves them so much that no matter what they do, everything's going to be all right. No matter how they live, no matter where they walk in their lives, no matter what they do, it's going to be all right because God loves me so much, he wouldn't do anything in any way that I might look at as being detrimental or negative. So there are two ways that people misunderstand the love of God. The second way I just described is a path of deep ignorance. It's a refutation of the Word of God. It is based in narcissism, that over-evaluation of oneself. And we have a lot of teaching that encourages us to feel that way today. There's a lot of teaching and preaching that is more the building of self-esteem than it is preaching the gospel. I want to tell you today that if you believe God loves you ultimately, supremely, in his grace and because of his mercy, you will not be over-evaluating yourself. You will be putting yourself right where God wants you to be because he does want you to understand this. He loves you. When the devil comes to you and reminds you after you've been saved, you started walking with the Lord, and he comes and reminds you of all those things that you did in the past. Maybe some of your past deeds weren't that far in the past. And they're so close that it's hard for you not to be reminded of them. But when he comes and tells you that the things that you have done disqualify you from the love of God because of the things in your life that you know are negative, that you know are dark, that you know are nefarious, that you know are in no way 
just one thing. Never listen to anything that Satan whispers or shouts into your ear because every time he speaks to you, he is telling you a lie. He is never going to speak the truth to you unless it is a little bit of truth to get you into a lot of untruth. The fact is that as unlovable as you may really be, it may be a fact. Yeah, all of us have been unlovable at one time because sin makes us that way. Sin separates us from God. But even when we were at our most unlovable, God loved us still. He never was at a time that he did not love us, and you were never at a time in your life when he did not love you. How do I know that? Because Paul said in the revelation of the gospel, when he wrote to the Romans, God commends his love toward us. He celebrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become righteous. If he'd waited for us to become righteous, he'd have never got there. He didn't wait for us to become righteous to die for us. He looked down and saw what we were, saw us in our sin, saw us in the gutter, saw us in the lowliness of life, saw us away from God. Saw us in a state where we cared nothing about God. Certainly didn't love Him. In fact, according to the Bible, we cared nothing for Him. And when we cared nothing about God, He cared everything about us. He didn't wait for us to come to a place of loving Him to send Jesus to die for us. He sent Jesus to die for us while we were still in the depth of our sin, declaring that He loves us at all times, always has, always will, and never will cease loving us. So don't misunderstand that. Don't misunderstand that love of God. He wants you to know that He loves you. So this week, when you start thinking about that time back in your life, if I stood right here now, paused a moment, let my mind go, I could think back on numbers of things that did not please God and would have, in the natural, said, God couldn't love me. And you will think the same thing. There are many people, some people have more of a struggle with this than others. Some have, some have very little struggle with this. Some, this is the major struggle of their lives. I hear it again and again and again. This is a major stumbling block, a struggle to face. But friend, when the enemy comes and tells you, remember when you did this? When he reminds you of it? He makes it even flashier than it was. Puts an emphasis on it. Remember this, remember this, remember this. God got to love you. Well, friend, that's the time where the love of God is the strongest. When the enemy says no, God says yes. When when the enemy says he can't, he can't love you, God says I can and I do. Hallelujah. There's never a time that God doesn't love you. And right now, my friend, as you think about it, I'm not saying that God's pleased with everything you're doing right now. I'm not saying God's pleased with every part of your life right now. I'm not talking about God being pleased with it. I'm talking about God loving you. God loves you in spite of, not because of a lot of things. He shows that. He proved that because we were sinners, lost in sin, dead in trespasses, when Jesus died for us, paid the price for our salvation. 
And he did that because God the Father said, this is my plan. And Jesus the Son said, I will do the Father's will and redeem lost creation. Fallen man will be brought back to God through the cross and the empty tomb. And that's the message that we stand on today to say that we have an understanding that's clear and biblical and straightforward. That understanding is God loves us. And you're included in that. We sang this morning. I forgot which the name of what the song was. We sang a part of the song that said, Even when I fail you, I know you love me. <laughs> That's a powerful statement, friend. It's a powerful statement. Even when I fail you, I know you love me. Glory to God. And then, Another thing that people greatly misunderstand about, about the Lord is his, his impartiality. I want to say this in a way that doesn't visit any element of judgment on you. That's not my goal today. My goal is to help people clearly understand what God wants us to know about Him and His plan. There are many people who misunderstand His his impartiality. And they do not believe that God's judgment applies to them. God's going to judge everybody else for this sin. I know it's wrong, and I know God's going to judge people for it. But I think God understands me, and He understands why I do this. He does understand it. Doesn't mean He overlooks it. Doesn't mean he says it's of no importance. It means that he wants you to repent if there's something there that needs repentance. Because God is impartial. He's going to treat every one of us, listen, he's going to treat every one of us according to his word. You're not going to be able to look at this word and say, oh, that says other people that are doing the things I do are probably going to miss heaven. Might even go to hell doing the things I'm doing. I thank God he understands why I'm doing it. No, no, friend, it doesn't work that way. The impartiality of God says he can't let any one of us miss his truth and live outside his truth and require others to do it. So don't misunderstand God's impartiality. It, it doesn't mean that the, the love of God for you is any less. It means that as you understand and comprehend the Word of God, especially the revelation of the New Testament, which calls upon us to come out from the things and the ways of the world and live in the heavenly kingdom in this world, that's what the call of the New Testament is, that we are the called out ones. The born-again believers are the church of Jesus Christ. And because we are that ecclesia, because we are the called out ones in the fellowship of God, we have to walk with Him in the understanding of the light that He's given us. You read 1 Corinthians, that corrective epistle, and you will find... Paul telling Christians all kinds of things that they need to get rid of and stop doing so that they can, so that they can begin 
pleasing God. I can start going down a list of things. I could tell you a, a number of things that just and just lengthen the list. But I don't think I need to do that. I think you know what I'm talking about. There are things that we need to turn over to God and we need to change our direction. We need to follow the plan and the pattern of the New Testament which says follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, that's not a popular word today. About the only time I ever hear it is when I say it. (laughs) But it's still true. It's still a fact. God has called us out to be separate as a chosen people, a royal priesthood named with his name. And he wants us to live godly lives And he will hold us accountable if we do not. So he wants us to do that. And it's the call of the Holy Spirit to help us do that. He strengthens us and enables us to do it. But it's going to be required of every single one of us. We misunderstand his impartiality. And then, I think that there are a lot of people who misunderstand the judgment of God. We want to talk about the end time, the events of the end time, hear those things told. But rarely do I ever hear anything told about the events of the end time that include the judgment seat of Christ. I hear some things about the great white throne judgment, but and you shouldn't confuse those. I'm, I'm not here today to teach you about this. I'm simply telling you that there, there's more than one judgment. The great white throne judgment is for the saved and the lost. For the lost have already been separated, and they've been called to stand before them and account for that. But the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians who are going to receive the judgment of, of the Lord for the works that they've done in his name. We're going to receive the reward of our lives. And I, I, I know that this is sometimes confusing to people, but it seems to me clearly that the Scripture does teach that there will, be a, there will be degrees of rewards in heaven. Some people are going to receive a greater reward than others. I know that a lot of people are going to receive greater rewards than I do. There may be just a few that might receive a little bit less. I'm not sure about that. But I do know this. I do know the Bible teaches that what we want to strive for is to hear that word from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And that is saying that there, are, that there are levels of promotion in the eternal kingdom of glory. I believe when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you come to understand that. I'm going to give you a brief summary of what chapter 3 is about. It's about dissension and people claiming credit in the church. To the point that some people said, well, I've done this. Now you can go and read it for yourself and take my paraphrase and fill it out in your own thinking. Some people in the church were saying, well, I've done a lot. I know Paul's done some things, but I've done even more. He came and told us a little bit, but then I added to that. And there are people, and out of that, factions grew. So people decided they were going to be followers of Paul. They were going to be followers of Peter or Cephas, as he's mentioned there, same thing. And then there was a man named Apollos who's mentioned in the book of Acts as a great eloquent speaker and leader. And they, so some were saying, well, I'm a Paul. And some others said, well, well, I'm a Peter. I'm his follower. And I'm a follower of Apollos. And so they were followers of men to the distraction 
and to the and the dissension of the church. So they broke them up into factions, and there was and dissension because of it. So Paul teaches them by saying, "I have laid a foundation, and that foundation that I laid is Jesus Christ the Lord. Other foundation no man can lay than that which I've already laid for the Church of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation." There are other people who built on that, and everybody receives credit for building on that foundation when they have done it with the right motive, with the right intent, and with the intention only to praise God. So they built on that foundation, and and uh, and, and 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 I'm one of them, and Cephas is another one, Peter is another one, and Apollos is another one. I have planted, Apollos watered, he said, but then he said. But it is God who gives the increase. All the growth goes to the glory of God. And there were other people who were so spiritual. I always like to talk about these, and I don't want to leave them out. I don't want to leave anybody here to feel left out, because you might say, well, I'm not a follower of Pastor Bill. I'm not a follower of somebody that I saw on TV. I'm not a follower of anybody. I don't follow anybody but Jesus. And you know that's wonderful, up to a point to the point that you disparage the leadership of other people and disparage the ministry of other people that God has called and put in place to be a blessing to your life. These people in these people in Corinth had that group too. So they had several factions. It just seemed like almost everybody that had any position of leadership whatsoever had a faction in the church in Corinth that was following him. And there was a group, the super spiritual group, the people who heard from God. I wouldn't do that, Pastor, but And here's one thing I have learned. Now, there's a lot of things I've not learned yet. But this is one thing I have definitely and positively learned. You can't talk to anybody and tell anybody, you can't tell them anything if God has talked to them. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) Nobody can tell you anything if you know God tells you everything. So what can I say to you if God's already told you something else? Even if you just think God has told you something else. You're so convinced of it that you believe that God's told you. Nobody can tell you anything different from that. So if you know God spoke to you, and it's God teaching you, telling you to take up snakes, you better get on out there and do it no matter what I say. Whatever it is you think God's told you, I found this. I found this over a period of time, over over a period of years. Somebody, and, and I'm talking about misunderstanding uh, how we how we come to misunderstand the judgment of God. So when 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 somebody comes up to me and says, "Well, well Pastor, I, you know, I know that God has said, brother." Will make it a, if there is, I'm not talking about you. I know that God's told me that Brother Brown is supposed to be the pastor of this church. I was at a Wednesday night service, not in this building, but in this previous building. I had a group of young men there from Teen Challenge. Ready to have the service. 
A lot of people there visitors because they were there. The teen child people were there. And this man, this brother, this good brother, he, he was a good boy. Maybe he is a good man. He's not around now, so I haven't seen him in a while. I assume he still is. He, 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 there were a lot of good things about it. But he came marching down the middle aisle that night, and he said, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. Yes, uh, yes, uh, brother. <laughs> he said, God's given me a message for tonight, and God told me I'm supposed to preach tonight. I said, well, you see all these young men over here? They're here for the service tonight. God's given them a Yeah, but God's given me a message I'm supposed to preach first. I said, well, when did God tell you that? Well, he told me that this afternoon when I was praying about the service. Now, God gave me a message that's on my heart. I know God told me. I know God told me that I'm supposed to preach this message tonight. I said, well, the one thing you've got mixed up, brother, he may want you to preach it, but he wasn't telling you you're supposed to preach it here. Well, he said, well, 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 I think he was. I said, well, I don't think he was at all. Because here's the reason I know. The reason I know this is if God had told you that, I'm almost sure to the point of a certainty that if God had told you that, he would have told me to. And he said, well, I just think you're wrong. I just think you're wrong, Pastor. I said, well, I'm sorry about that. You just have to think I'm wrong. Well, he left. He might have stayed at the back of the church, the back of the service. It doesn't matter whether he did or not. I'm just simply telling you that you want to be careful when you believe, when you say, God told me. I'm just telling you to be careful about that. Because a lot of times when you say that, if you really know positively, a lot of times God tells you it's for you to know and you alone until God does it. Well, if God does speak to you, and that's a clear point of truth to you, what you need to do is to wait on God to fulfill it and let God bring it about. Don't expect God to tell everybody else the same thing that you think he's told you. Now, factions in the church. That's what I was, that's how, I think that's how I got into that. Anyway, so this is what, this is what 1 Corinthians says, the passage, the part that I was just now talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of God's judgment, the judgment seat, will bring it to light. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward because if it's done with the right motive, with the right intention, with the right purpose, done in the will of God, the builder will receive If it is burned up, means that it hasn't been accepted of God. If what you did was for your own motive, your own reasons, for your own selfishness. If it, has been, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. So this is not about salvation. This is about the reward of the works, even though only as one escaping through the fire or through the flames. So our work is important, and it's important that we do it in the will of God, understanding how God will judge our works based on our motives, our reasoning, our cause. We do service for God 
because we want to do His will and glorify Him. Not because we want to receive recognition and praise from men and get our paper, get our picture printed in the paper. Don't want to print your paper in your picture. And God, for whatever reason, if our motive is wrong, then we miss the blessing of God. And I believe that's just what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. So, all the questions that you have about the judgment of God, and the questions that I have about it, because there are people asking me things about the judgment of God that I don't have a good, clear answer for, but I'm going to give you the best answer I have right now. When people come to me and say, but you say, Pastor, everybody has to come to the Father through Jesus. He's the only way. What about those people that haven't heard the name of Jesus? What about people out there on the backside of Africa, down in the jungles of South America? Nobody ever got to them with the gospel. Nobody ever told them. What about that? How do you say God's going to let them God's going to let them die and go to hell? And this is what I say. I will trust God to do the right thing. I don't believe God wants to destroy anybody. I don't believe God ever prepared hell for any, any person that he created. I don't believe God did that. I'm going to leave it, and, and although I may not have the answer, that's just one of the things that I don't have the exact answer to, but I am willing to do this. I am willing to let the will of God be perfected by him and let him do what he said. This is what Abraham did. Abraham was told that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah by fire and brimstone. And Abraham, as the great intercessor, went before the Lord and started to pray. And he prayed that God would spare the city, but the judgment of God was already there. And in the course of his prayer, as he communicated with the Father, he cried out, Lord God, my Father, will you spare the cities if you find righteous people there? And the answer he felt in his heart was, yes, I will spare the city if we find righteous people. Well, how many people do you need, Father? Will you spare the city if you, if there are, if there are a hundred, he may have started other numbers, but I think the Bible just puts it down. Succinctly for us. Would you spare this? Would you spare the city if you found a hundred righteous people in the city, Lord? And God said, Yes. Abraham, I'll spare the city for them. And then Abraham starts to think that's a pretty wicked place. Maybe I better go on down. How about ninety, Lord? How about eighty? How about seventy-five? And he comes on down. Every time the Lord says, Yes, I'll spare it if we find that man. Finally, Abraham comes out to fifty. He says, Lord, if you find fifty righteous people there. Will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And the father said, yes, Abraham. Yes. If there are 50 righteous people, I find I will spare the city. And Abraham will praise you, Lord. Thank you. And he got up believing, well, surely, surely he'll find 50 people there. But then as God searched through the homes and, and shined the light on the hearts of people, he realized there were not 50 people there. Abraham's prayer would have been answered, but here's the way God answered it. God said, I don't find many righteous people there, but Lot and his family, I see through my eyes of grace and mercy, I see them as righteous. And Lot, I want you to come out of Sodom and Gomorrah, leave that city because my judgment is coming. So Lot and his whole family walked out and left the city. 
Now, the story isn't a good one necessarily after that, but it's a great declaration of the mercy of God. Because God didn't have to say that for anybody there, including Lot and his family. He just allowed them to come out into safety. And, of course, you know the following that he said, don't even look back. If you want my protection and my safety, don't even look back. Well, Lot's wife did look back, and we know what happened to her. If you're not familiar with the Bible yet, she, uh, she turned to a pillar of salt. So, so a lot of things happen in the judgment of God. But to understand the judgment of God, we need to understand that God is love, that God is impartial, and God will treat all of us according to what his word says that we know and live by. And here's the good thing about that, my friends. I want to cover this one thing with you as a lifting point for you to follow in the coming days. There may be things that we don't know about sin, unrighteousness. I've often wondered if there are things that we do on a regular basis that perhaps God hasn't got us to the place that he can tell us about yet and cause us to pull away from it. There are just things in our heart, things that are in our spirit that, we, that need to be corrected by the Spirit of God that we haven't got to yet to the place for that to happen. So what will God do about that? This is what I believe he's talking about. When John wrote these words, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, now if we do what the word tells us to do, do what we understand the word to teach us, we follow through with what we believe that the word is leading us into, if we walk in all the light that we have, that Jesus provides, we walk in the light as he is the light, then we have fellowship one with another, that's the first sign of it, that's fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, from sin known and unknown, perceived or recognized or understood or not. God has a way, if we do all that he has called us to do, we walk in all the light that his word displays for us, follow him as closely as we understand his word to lead us in following him, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is a cleansing power that keeps us free, cleansed, and saved from all sin. There's an answer for you, my friends. Do all that you know to do in the plan of God. Take the word of God and let it abide in your heart. Jesus said, if, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll receive great things. If his words abide in us, take his word a part of our lives. Live that word. And in living that word, we're living in the light that Jesus has shined upon us. And in all the light we have, God will take care of the rest. When Abraham was talking to God the Father about all of these things, when he finally came down to that 50, he was trying to persuade God, like we sometimes do. He was trying to persuade God to find 50 there. And then this is the question. It's a rhetorical question, but it's a question I've used a hundred times or more. This is what Abraham said to God. Will not the judge, he's speaking to God, you are the judge of all the earth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And God didn't say, yes, I will, because he didn't have to. Abraham already knew the answer. Yes, the judge of all the earth will do right, and he did. He honored Abraham's prayer. 
He couldn't find 50, so he couldn't spare the city. But he spared the righteous who were in the city because he called them out and led them in the path of following him and gave Abraham his answer to prayer because he saved righteous Lot and his family. That's what God does. Sometimes he goes beyond what we know to pray for, not beyond what we know how to live for. God knows more than we know about everything, about ourselves and about all the planet of the world. God knows. If we walk with him, we're walking in safety. And I can ask you this question, and you know the answer. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right, Abraham asked. And we declare with him what we know to be true. Yes, yes. For all the people everywhere that we don't know how can come under the grace of God, the judge of all the earth will do right. For the things that we may not understand in our daily lives, the judge of all the earth will do right. We stand at a funeral time, and we're not sure what this person said about Jesus. And we don't know what to say other than the judge of all the earth will do right. And when we say that, we know we're declaring the truth embedded in God's word, anchored in the eternal word, anchored in the inerrant truth of God's declaration of his plan of salvation for the world. The judge of all the earth will do right. And we want to stand with him and stand on that and believe that in everything that we do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with me, please. Praise the Lord.